What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three cocaine-snorting stockbrokers with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I just wanted to get another look at you. I'm Keith Baker, and it looks like I gotta find myself a new lawyer. And I'm Austin Terry, and I invoke Parlay with Captain Barbosa. That's right. On today's show, we'll be returning to our bracket format with a twist. This time, we won't be talking about a specific genre like we have in the past when discussing the best comedies, horror movies, sports movies, etc. Today, everything is random. But before we get more into that, last week we wrapped up our most recent retrospective and review series with John Wick. Austin, how was that series? Yeah, it was a fun return to the John Wick trilogy. Um, I think we all had a great time with the action, uh, of course, with Keanu Reeves in the lead. But I think the biggest thing we discovered is while John Wick is praised as a pretty fun franchise and overall delivers on its promise for fun action and just showing Keanu Reeves being a badass for two hours, the trilogy may have a bit of a villain problem. Only one of these movies really has a strong villain, so if you're interested to hear us ponder why John Wick does have a villain problem, be sure to check that series out. That's right, yeah. And I'm excited to get into some of these movies because I think we have some good villains on this list. We got some good antagonists, you might say. So... Let's get into our main topic of the show. It's time to break down what the best movie is of the random ones that we submitted. That's right. Some are favorites, some will warrant good conversation, and some exist somewhere in between. This is a good excuse for us to talk about some different movies than we normally would. Since most of our brackets involve a genre-specific titles, this lets us pick movies that cross a few different ones, and in some cases, we probably just wouldn't want to devote a full episode discussion to some of these in our favorite movie series, for example. So this lets us mark a bunch off our list at once. Before we start, though, since this is a different bracket than usual, Austin and Keith, let me know a little bit about the thought process that went into picking the movies that you did. For me, in the spirit of this bracket being random, there really wasn't too much of a thought process for me. Um, I did decide to pick movies that I currently own on Blu-ray. So what I did is I went into my office, I sat in my little desk chair, I spun around a few times and I stopped myself, looked at my bookcase where all my movies are, and just picked the first four that popped out at me. Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same thing. I just went into our office where we keep all of our DVDs and opened up the uh, cabinet and just kind of looked through and just chose two at random out of that. And then I went on Netflix and kind of just scrolled through Netflix and saw a couple other ones that I've always liked and then just chose those from there too. Yeah, so the way I did it is I basically took some genres that I like, you know, sci-fi, biopics, kind of weird dark comedy, stuff like that. And I just thought about it, went through a list of some of the movies that I'd seen in the last few years, and basically just picked one from each. So that way, I thought I had a nice spread of the genres that I was tackling today. I gotta say, uh, Keith and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, and for me, this bracket has some of the most movies that just haven't worked for me. Now, I don't mm. think they're bad movies, just personally, I did not like them. So I don't think I've had that really happen with any of our brackets beforehand. Well, I mean, that's a good thing to bring up. And that kind of leads us to our final point here, which is the whole criteria. When we talked about comedies, it was like, does it make you laugh? Do you like the side characters? That kind of thing. With rom-coms, just the added, how does the romance work? So here, I mean, is there anything you guys could think of as you were watching these movies? Did anything stick out to you? Like, across all these different genres, is there kind of some singular criteria that you think is going to let you put something over something else in a bracket? Yeah, I have a thought on that. So I think with the spirit of this being a completely random bracket, the, the selections are random, the matchups are random. I think an overarching theme here is a movie that's going to win this bracket is a movie that is 
on a random night, you need something to watch, you can throw it on, it's going to be a good time. So for me, I think the biggest criteria I'll be judging on is, is the movie fun? If I'm going to put it on randomly, am I going to have a good time watching this movie? Totally agree. And I'll just add to that by saying rewatchability. I say, I say that every time that you know, it needs to be rewatchable, but I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to apply to all these matchups, though. Even having rewatched most of these, it's still a question that's hard to answer. I don't really know. I think once we kind of get into the heat of things and see where some of the initial votes go, maybe I'll be able to kind of formulate criteria better. But just for now, I think the story, I think because these are all such different genres, kind of finding that plot and the story it tries to tell, how it actually gets from point A to point B, whether it be, it doesn't really matter what genre it is or what it's actually tackling subject matter wise, as long as that's compelling and there's some really good characters along the way, I think that's going to be kind of all it takes for me. So now with our thought process in terms of selection and our criteria choices out of the way, it is time to start, my friends. Let's get in to the random bracket. So, Keith, as always, how about you give us a little tease of what's to come? How about you inform the audience of our one-seaters today? Our one-seaters for today are The Wolf of Wall Street, A Star is Born, Pan's Labyrinth, and The Fugitive. That's right. Now, before we get into the first wild card, we should let everybody know that we actually, besides the one-seaters, everything else you're about to hear, we put into a list randomizer, and that is how we determine these matchups. The only reason I'm kind of prefacing with that is you're going to hear some weird matchups coming up. There's going to be some like, how the hell is that going up against that? And it's because in the theme of it being a random bracket, the matchups are random as well. So with that, let's get to the first one. We have the Lincoln Lawyer versus the Voices. The Lincoln Lawyers from 2011, directed by Brad Furman, stars Matthew McConaughey, Marissa Tomei, and Ryan Philippi. Mickey Holler is hired to defend the son of a wealthy Los Angeles businesswoman in an assault case. Details of the crime bring up uncomfortable parallels with the former case, and Holler discovers the two cases are intertwined. And The Voices was released in 2014. It's directed by Marjane Satapi and stars Ryan Reynolds, Gemma Atherton, Anna Kendrick, and Jackie Weaver. And our logline is, a likable guy pursues his office crush with the help of his evil talking pets, but things turn sinister when she stands him up for a date. So boys, we have the start of the reconnaissance here with the Lincoln lawyer versus a very different role for Ryan Reynolds than I've seen from the rest of his career. Yeah, that was kind of the entire reason I chose it. I know Austin and Keith know that I am... Kind of tired, to be honest, of uh, the post-Deadpool era of Ryan Reynolds. He kind of, I'm not even making a joke. It just feels like he struck gold and he's just going to repeat the living shit out of it. And it's kind of run its course for me. So uh, this is how I pick the voices. It's just something so different, like Austin said. And I think he's really good in it. If you're good at something, you never do it for free. <laughs> and that's what Ryan Reynolds found out with Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny, Austin, you said McConaissance and McConaughey had... McConaughey had this like revival of his career. So what's what are they going to be calling the Reynolds repetitiveness? <laughs> the repetitiveness, the <laughs> Reynolds repetitiveness. <laughs> I don't know. Probably just Deadpool. Because I'm here now. I'm going to play Deadpool over and over and over and over, and you're going to like it, audience, and you're going to pay for it. And I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like you just see like another actor or actress you like do the same thing. It's just like ah, oh, they Deadpooled it. <laughs> <laughs> So we mentioned the reconnaissance here with the Lincoln lawyer. It's funny. Have you guys looked up just some of the reviews for this movie at the time? 
I'm not going to go through them, but it's it's just so funny to see these reviews. And it's like, I know, I know, I know. It's what you're thinking. Matthew McConaughey, not a guy that carries a film anymore, but here <laughs> we are. And it's like all these critics like begging people to go see this movie, thinking McConaughey is going to turn people off. And it's just funny to read that stuff today after he really has revitalized his career. And it's kind of viewed as somebody who can carry a movie again. And it starts with this film. Yeah. I think it does. And he did a great job. I was pleasantly surprised watching this one. I think this is only the second time I've seen this. I know we watched it together the first time, if I remember right. And so obviously it's been a while. It's been like 10 years since I saw this. And I think for the most part, it holds up as a pretty compelling thriller. You know, there's some kind of plot holes here and there. I think there's probably too, too many characters they just kind of throw in there and introduce. And honestly, it feels like in a lot of ways they were setting up to tell some of the future Mickey Holler stories. So they're just going to throw in some random characters. But for the most part, it really held together and it was super engaging and compelling. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it definitely holds up. Uh, McConaughey, of course, is the standout, which makes sense because like we said, this is the movie that revitalizes his career. Uh, It's funny, though, because with this having come out in 2011, it definitely feels like a product of a product of its time. And and what I mean is it it definitely feels like a thriller that got released before season one of True Detective. It's a very predictable thriller in the fact that there's going to be some crazy twist and you know it's coming. But the twist itself really isn't that smart once you see the whole movie. I mean, yeah, for me, I really like the the courtroom drama and I do like the thriller part of it, too, with all the the crazy action that goes on in between the courtroom scenes, but I really just like courtroom dramas in general. Did you guys ever see A Time to Kill with McConaughey, which is like one the thing that the movie that started his career? Yeah. He actually wasn't too bad in that either. So the guy plays pretty. He plays a pretty good lawyer. So yeah, it still holds up for me. Um, the acting was good. The overall story still good for me, and it was fun to go back and rewatch. Yeah, I think. Um... I agree with what Austin said, that there are a lot of predictable elements. I think the thing that kind of takes the movie from being predictable and elevates it to a really solid movie, though, is it seems like they know that because they really do probably less than halfway through the movie. They just have Ryan Philippi like just say that he did it. So then the rest of the movie becomes like, well, I got to get this guy off anyway because he kind of trapped me. So I have to defend him. But then Matthew McConaughey is still kind of, you know, playing his cards in order to get justice in a weird way. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, switching over to the voices real quick. I mean, this is a really weird, dark comedy. Um, I love it. I think it's super fun (laughs) while being like really messed up. There's like some genuine, like serious emotional moments at times. And then just the whole concept of what he is doing, killing these people. But it's weirdly like they endear him to you in an odd way. And then he has the whole shoulder angels, of course, who have his talking pets that Ryan Reynolds obviously does the voice for as well. It's just such a weird concept. And I think it ultimately becomes a really engaging watch. What'd you guys think of this one? Yeah, it was kind of a different role for Ryan Reynolds, but I, I thought he played it really well. Um, and so the first half of the movie for me, I thought it was gonna be more of like a comedy. And then, then it takes like a kind of a weird and disturbing turn and it goes really kind of dives like really deep into mental health. And like, this guy's actually like, shit, this is what happens. This is how serial killers are born. It's super creepy. But yeah, I did like it though. I was entertained the entire time. It's definitely one that I'm going to want to go back and rewatch for sure to go see if I catch anything that I didn't catch before. Yeah, I agree for the most part with with what everything you guys are saying. I, I think the only thing I would call out with the voices is I think it tries to span too many genres. And I think having this really dark material and then trying to be funny at the same time, a lot of times I don't think the jokes hit for the majority of this movie, but when the jokes do hit, it's hysterical. 
So there is a, a very fine line to balance here. But for the majority of the movie, for me, I wasn't laughing. And I know the movie was wanting me to be laughing along with it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think in the first half, like Keith said, it's definitely more of a straight kind of comedy than becomes like a serial killer comedy in a weird way. Then the second half is definitely more pretty dark drama, I would say, for the most part. And I agree with you. I think there is some clash with the genre and how they handle certain things. It definitely doesn't always work. But I just love how it's presented, too. Like the whole element of him, um, should I take the drug? Should I not take the drugs? And how the actual cinematography and the color palette of the movie changes. And like, I love how they basically tell you how his apartment looks on the inside. And then he takes the drugs and then he just walks around like nothing's wrong. It's like, we know how that place looks like really cool, like camera work and how they kind of set the stage. I thought it was pretty well shot. Yeah. The, especially when you see his apartment from the view of other characters. Ugh. Those are scenes that I thought worked really well in this movie. Well, guys, we're kind of already at a tough spot. I mean, when it comes to voting, it sounds like for the most part, you know, we definitely have some issues here and there with both movies, but. Seems like we liked them. One of them more of a comedy, one of them more of a, a thriller. So kind of depends, I guess, for this first vote, what you prioritize. So if anybody's feeling strong, go for it. I'm going to go ahead and do a vote for The Lincoln Lawyer. Just overall good thriller, action, courtroom drama, whatever you want to call it. And the acting and the story are well told. This might be the first time in a bracket where I'm casting a vote that I don't really feel good about. There's been some times where like, I was kind of going back and forth and wasn't sure. And I, I just don't really feel great about this one. I think I'm going to vote for the voices. And the reason is at the end of that movie, I agree with what Austin said. There's definitely moments where it kind of falls flat and it feels like they're trying to do too much. But when the credits rolled, I was like, hmm, cool. Like I was really thinking about it. It definitely really struck a chord with me, uh, made me laugh, also made me think about kind of the mental health angle. I thought it did a really good job with those key moments. So I was definitely thinking about it more. Whereas the Lincoln lawyer... I get to the end and I'm like, that was a really great thriller. That was really compelling. I'd love to see more of this character. But, you know, when the credits rolled, it was more like, yeah, that was cool. So just based on kind of that more of a longer lasting impression with the voices, I'm going to go with that. Here's what I'll say. I think with The Lincoln Lawyer, it's a very good movie all the way through. But there definitely are parts where it, where it drags and it doesn't keep me engaged for the entirety of the film. But the voices, I think its first and second act are a little bit hard to get through, but it's still engaging. I think it absolutely knocks its third act out of the park. The third act of this film is really fun. They they find a way to strike the balance perfectly. You're engaged. You're terrified of Ryan Reynolds. At the same time, you're laughing along with the pets. And I think because we see so many movies that have third act problems, I'm going to give my vote to the voices just because of that standout third act. All right. All right. First one's out of the way. The voices will go on to face the Wolf of Wall Street in the next round. So now it is time for another weird-ass pairing, Gattaca versus Hacksaw Ridge. Gattaca is from 1997, directed by Andrew Nichol. This one stars Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, and Jude Law. The logline is, in a biometrics-based future, Vincent Freeman is conceived outside the eugenics program and must find a drastic way to overcome genetic discrimination to realize his dream of going to space. Hacksaw Ridge uh, came out in 2016, directed by Mel Gibson. Starring Andrew Garfield, Sam Worthington, Teresa Palmer, Vince Vaughn, and Hugo Weaving. This story focuses on Desmond Doss, the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor. All right. <laughs> it's so weird. I, I didn't expect this bracket just to not know where to start sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody have like just a thought to throw out there? Yeah, I guess I can just start my thoughts on Gattaca. 
I thought I had never seen it before, but I was wrong. Matt, I think you actually showed us this movie once before, but we, I think we might have all f- fallen asleep after starting it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. And not because remember. it was a boring movie, it's because it was late at night. But anyway, I started watching it. It's a cool, I really love sci-fi alternate reality. I'm a big fan of Ethan Hawke and um, Uma Thurman. I thought they really played well together in this. And and um, and I'm a big fan of Jude Law as well. Yeah, so all three of those characters were really well played. And I like the whole uh, invalid and gene uh, stuff that was going on with that story. Yeah, this was my first time seeing Gattaca. And I had a really good time with this watch. Um, I think the best part about this movie is the Ethan Hawke and Jude Law dynamic. Every time Vincent and Jerome are on screen together... Um, just that relationship is so fascinating because Ethan Hawke is impersonating uh, Jude Law's character, and Jude Law is a person who was born perfectly and kind of had that taken away from him. So uh, that dynamic I thought was super fun. The only thing that didn't work for me, and and I'm struggling here because this isn't necessarily the movie's fault, but I kept waiting to see what happens when they get to space. Sure. And they never go to space in the movie, and they're they're teasing that for the whole film and for a movie about space travel as much as it comes up. To not go to space was a little bit underwhelming for me. I could see that. I could see that. Um, yeah. Uh, since we're kind of focusing on Gattaca, yeah, this is one of my favorites. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. I love when sci-fi feels not only like grounded and realistic, but also possible. And I think the whole idea of eugenics and this whole future where, you know, you can be born without certain like conditions and whatever, and it can perfect you and what that means for people that don't have access to that kind of service like what does that mean for jobs and where they fit into society that whole thing feels very possible in the future that we're kind of headed towards so i think a movie like this feels kind of weird in that way but in a really kind of cool aspect whenever you watch it and i really like the performances like austin said my favorite part is definitely the ethan hawk jude law dynamic as ethan hawk is of course kind of taking Jude Law's life in a way. And so they kind of have this interesting dynamic and it's super funny at times. It's super sad and where it ends is certainly kind of a, a downer, but also feels right. And I just love how they present it. Of course, it was made in 97. So some elements of the future, like it is a bit goofy, like the way the computers look and stuff is kind of stupid. But, you know, for the most part, it's cool. Like Austin said, I think it's just a cool concept. And uh, yeah, before we dive too far into it, you guys want to bring Hacksaw Ridge into the conversation? Yeah, I'll kick us off with Hacksaw Ridge. This is a movie that I think is pretty overlooked for being such a good World War II film. Um, I, I think the World War II genre is pretty stale at this point. It's been done so many times. But to have a story like this come to light that I didn't know anything about until the first time I saw this movie, to have a movie that is set, it's set in World War II, it's set in the Pacific, which is one of the most violent theaters of World War II, and then to have a man who is a pacifist in the movie what does that look like? And, and that was super interesting. The fact that it's a, a true story makes it even more intriguing to me. Um, Mel Gibson, of course, is a, is a problematic person in real life, but he is, of course, the guy that did Braveheart. And the visuals for those battle scenes, I think, really follow over into Hacksaw Ridge as well. Uh, the, the war scenes in this movie are brutal. Um, it's hard to watch, but at the same time, it feels very real. And Andrew Garfield, this is such a different role from him than what I've seen him do. And I think he gives such a standout performance. Yeah, this was my first time seeing Hacksaw Ridge. I never saw it when it first came out. So I was excited to go into it. And yeah, I was blown away. Because uh, I've always been a big Saving Private Ryan fan. And I think this is up there with Saving Private Ryan as far as World War II actions. I mean, it was pretty brutal and kind of hard to watch at times with the explosions and the blood and the gore and all the 
stuff those guys had to deal with and see. And yeah, and just the overall story that they told uh, was just, they did a great job of telling it. And I think, yeah, Andrew Garfield and Mel Gibson did awesome with the acting and great with the directing. So yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. This was my second time watching it. Saw it in theaters. And so it's been a little bit of a gap since I saw it last. And I was surprised because I felt almost the exact same way about it this time, which is A, just first of all, I really, really like this movie. I think it's cool and different because not only, like Keith kind of compared it, do you get the Saving Private Ryan realism, the violence, the brutality, kind of no holds barred when it comes to the war scenes, but you also get this pretty cool element in the beginning leading up to that, which is kind of actually developing Desmond as a character. It's not like Saving Private Ryan, which is Tom Hanks is the lead, and like you kind of know about him a little bit about his past and stuff, but here it's like Desmond Doss is a fully-fledged character. So like, we know this guy. We know his history. We know what he's about, and we know why he's a conscientious objector, and it's for a good reason. You come to understand it as the film goes on. It's almost two different movies, too, but well, I think- yeah. Like the the first half is definitely centered around Desmond Doss, and the second half really is the World War II story. But it's not jarring like it is with other movies when they do kind of two separate stories. I think the switch over into the World War II action feels very natural and kind of very unique to this movie whenever that switch does happen. Yeah, um, that was kind of what I was referencing when I first saw it. That, that's my only problem with the movie is I'm glad it worked for you because it's, it's clearly not an issue with the movie. It's just a thing of taste or just personal preference, but... Yeah, it, it is a bit jarring for me going from this really kind of beautiful origin story, if you want to call it that, and then just switching to the war. And then it is like so hyper violent as it was in real life. So it is a bit jarring for me. That being said, I don't know what the fix is for that. I don't know what they could have done differently for me to not feel that way. Only other thing I would have liked to have seen is it would have been cool to see like Teresa Palmer and Hugo Weaving at the end, like just. They're kind of, they kind of exit and after like, yeah. the halfway point after he after Hugo Weaving comes in and like helps him officially get the whole conscientious objector thing. It would have been nice to have a wrap up that way. Maybe it didn't feel like it was so distinctly one half and then another half of a movie. But honestly, I'm nitpicking. It's just something I noticed because I felt the exact same way the first time I watched it, which was just it feels like two different movies. But both movies individually, I think, are great. So, you know, there you go. I think the main reason the shift works for me is because. The origin story of Desmond Doss, it, it is really sweet and pretty heartwarming. And I think you get really emotionally attached to this character. And he he feels like such a sweet and innocent character. And then you learn so much about him. And then you take him into this very violent yeah. portion of the yeah, movie. Yeah. And, and you're almost more scared for him whenever you're in these war scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I think that's exactly what they were going for. So in that aspect, it definitely kills it. Well, my friends, I think it's time to vote here, unless anybody has any major pushbacks they want to give about Gattaca or Hacksaw Ridge. My vote will be Hacksaw Ridge. Um, just doing something new with the kind of a, a stale genre really works for me. Uh, the war scenes really work for me. And, and I'm also just a sucker for World War II movies. Um, a unique performance from Andrew Garfield gives it another point for me. And also seeing Vince Vaughn in a World War II movie is pretty fun as well. So I got to give my vote to Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. Uh, I'll hop in here. I'm going to vote Gattaca. So another split vote. My main reason, despite loving Hacksaw Ridge, is Gattaca, the story it tells, this weird futuristic story, and the fact that we get to see Vincent take this entire journey from birth to living out his dream, I think is such a... It's so well presented, so well edited. I love the aspect of him taking Jude Law's life and the way like he goes to all these great lengths to keep his identity hidden is so crazy. And then 
I love the brother twist at the end. And then the final thing I'll say that just solidifies it is in the final scene, whenever he goes in for the final drug test that he didn't know was going to be there. And then the doctor, played by Xander Berkeley, just kind of calls back to the beginning about his son, which is a son that was born genetically perfect, but it didn't work out. So it kind of makes you think about that element of the movie again. And he lets him go anyways. Like, I like this. I like this movie. (laughs) That's a a great scene. I love that scene. Only thing is, though, we, we've got some creepy pee-pee action with that doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. That's a great piece there, Vincent. Like, ew. <laughs> I gotta say, it's one of the best I've seen. <laughs> uh, Keith, you obviously have the swing vote. Uh, just so Matt knows, because this was my first time and it is his favorite film. For me, it's just a case of the matchup. I think Gattaca would beat out a majority of these other films, but I gotta go with Hacksaw Ridge in this one. Yeah, I can't fault that at all. I think Hacksaw Ridge is probably the better made movie out of the two, but I think Gattaca is more is, is definitely more rewatchable. Um, and so Austin, if it goes, if we're, if we're going by your criteria, Austin, which you said at the beginning, like which one's more fun, then I would have to go to get, go with Gattaca. But if we're going by some other criteria, we said like a better told story and all that, then I would probably have to go with Hacksaw Ridge. So it's kind of hard to choose. But since I have to choose, I'm going to go ahead and go with Gattaca. Whoa. Wow, I did not expect that. Wow. If Keith starts out his statement with, it's rewatchable for me, you know that's getting his vote. <laughs> the only reason I was bl- I was surprised is because Keith, when talking about Gattaca, or sorry, talking about Hacksaw Ridge, used the phrase, I was blown away. I thought, wow, okay, there we go. That's a vote right there. <laughs> wow. You never know where I'm going to go. <laughs> In Gattaca, he was blown by that doctor. <laughs> yeah. Vincent was and Keith. <laughs> The second nicest piece he's ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Keith was like, why not the verse? All right. (laughs) All right, guys. Gattaca will move on to the next round where it will face A Star is Born. All right, guys. So we've had a couple weird matchups. This next one feels a little bit more normal. We got some comedy elements in both of them. So we have Deadpool versus Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. So Deadpool is, of course, from 2016, directed by Tim Miller, and it stars Ryan Reynolds, Marina Baccarin, and Ed Screen. And the story is, Wade Wilson hunts down the man who gave him mutant abilities and a scarred physical appearance. And in the process, he becomes the beloved antihero, Deadpool. And Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, was released in 2003. It's directed by Gore Vabinski. It stars Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley, Johnny Depp, and Jeffrey Rush. It follows pirate Jack Sparrow and blacksmith Will Turner as they rescue the kidnapped Elizabeth Swan from the cursed crew of the Black Pearl. All right. So I feel better about this one, like I said. You know, there are kind of comedic elements in both of them. you got some action. So this one feels maybe on the surface a bit strange, but I think at its core, these two belong together. Deadpool, of course, launched the uh, Deadpool era of Ryan Reynolds' career. <laughs> he will now play this character forever. Um, but I think Deadpool is a pretty important movie to the superhero genre, just because it proved that audiences were willing to come out for hard R superhero movies. And I think if if Deadpool doesn't happen, we don't end up with, for example, an R-rated Suicide Squad. I, I think Deadpool kind of had to come along to kind of add a breath of fresh air to the superhero genre. Deadpool was a fun one. The action is awesome. The overall kind of corniness and cheesiness of the stuff he says combined with like the bloody and goriness of the stuff he's doing um it just works and yeah i liked it i've seen deadpool a few times now and it's one that 
I think I like less the more times I see it. And it might only be because you just kind of get used to the jokes. But there is a lot to like here, mainly that I love that it's a simple story. Literally just a pretty run-of-the-mill revenge movie, but it is edited in a way to kind of intersplice him as Deadpool with his origin. I think they do that in a really effective way. And the action's super fun. The acting itself is really great. Ryan Reynolds does give not only comedic performance, but some good emotional moments in that origin story we mentioned. And like I said, yeah, is like the villain top tier or anything? No, but it is just a good revenge story. So they kind of found the right characters to fit in there. The love story is great. So while it gets less funny for me as I watch it, I do think there's a lot to like here. Yeah, here's the thing about Deadpool. Uh, and and this will kind of tie into Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I thought Deadpool was amazing at the time. But like Matt said, I think every time I've I've seen it since then, it's kind of lessened a little bit in, in how much I like it. And this time around, it felt especially stale. Um, I don't think the action's actually aged particularly well. I, I think Ryan Reynolds has nailed this character. But the action, I think, compared to what we get now, uh, doesn't look that great, especially for uh, like practical effects and all that. Like You can tell a lot of this stuff is CGI. Um, and that kind of ties into Pirates of the Caribbean, which I was just surprised at how well this movie looks today. It's 18 years old at this point. It looks better than some movies that have come out in recent years. Uh, the characters, I was surprised at how well they've held up as well. The story is really fun. All the sword fighting is practical. The ship stuff is practical. Jack Sparrow, how can you not love him? Johnny Depp just nailed that character. I had such a good time on this rewatch of Pirates, and I, I hadn't seen it as an adult yet. So I was a little bit worried going into it how I was going to feel about it. I got to say, still love that movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. I watch Pirates probably once a year, and it's always the same every time. It's always fun. I know exactly what to expect. And like you said, Austin, you can't help but love Jack Sparrow. I think he's probably one of the one of the best movie characters of all time. And, and his, it's just cool how they combine like this fun character like him with like the boy chasing girl with Will and Elizabeth and all that. And then they also have like these fun um villains i guess like barbosa and it's just a, a solid pirate movie i would say i've seen a lot of i guess a decent amount of pirate movies that have come out in hollywood but i would say pirates caribbean and then treasure island which austin you won't ever watch because it came out in 1957 Whoa. but it's a that's good an one oldie. that's an oldie <laughs> the animated treasure island is great too i guess that's treasure planet treasure, treasure planet. planet i almost put that in this bracket <laughs> But like you said, the choreography with the ships is it just looks so good. In the in the soundtrack um oh, behind everything. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Soundtrack's fantastic. If you if you go look at behind the scenes stuff for Pirates 2, it's it's all practical. Like they're either on actual boats or they're on boats that they built and kind of have some green screen in there. But the practicality of the set is just it's mind blowing if you go look at the behind the scenes. Yeah. I just gotta say, because nobody ever talks about this in movies, and more people should. There is nothing that Matt Johnson appreciates more than a A-plus credits cut. And what I'm talking about is when a movie cuts to that black screen and they start rolling the credits, I want to feel hype. And in this movie, when Jack Sparrow retakes the Black Pearl, pulls out his compass to find their next destination, and he starts singing the song from the island, looks at the camera, it's like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Badass. <laughs> also, so uh, this won't uh, this won't mean anything to you guys, but his, his closing line there is, bring me that horizon. Yeah. And that spawned the name of one of my favorite bands, bring me the horizon. That's where they got their band name from. Oh, it's a really good line. Uh, yeah. 
uh, for me to just to talk about it in general real quick. I mean, yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm not with Keith that like I watch it that often, but I have watched it in the last few years. And I remember being like, wow, this actually holds up really well. And watching it again this time, even more so. I mean, the practical effects, the characters, the story they're telling with like how each hero character has of like the three of them, they each have their own goal and it kind of drives them together by the end, which is cool. The villains really creepy and just hammy enough of a performance from Jeffrey Rush, I feel like, to make it super fun. And it's just really awesome. It's just a really awesome movie. Every character gets like their own standout moment, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. actually what I don't like about the future movies. I think Jack Sparrow is perfect as part of an ensemble or maybe even calling him a supporting character. I love how they use him in this movie. It's so perfect. And in the future ones, he just becomes the main character. I think that's where they lost it a little bit. But in this one, they nailed that balance. Also, I did not remember how badass and just cool the premise of the final battle is when they're fighting Barbosa. And there's this whole element of they're literally invincible. So it's like, what can we do? And Jack sneaks a coin and then he's invincible and then they're fighting. And then the way it ends, I was like, my jaw was dropped. The way Will Turner runs up, he has the blood of bootstrap Bill. So he's going to cut his hand. Jack does it at the exact same time, throws the coin at him. Will grabs it, cuts his hand, drops it in. And then Barbosa gets shot with that one bullet. Jack was saving for 10 years. It honestly feels like they just introduced the pirate coins that make them invincible just so they could do this really awesome final battle. (laughs) It's so cool. I mean, it's got to be an obvious unanimous pirates vote here, right? Like Deadpool is not beating out pirates. Hell no. It's not. It's not. Look, I like Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, but I can only hear, oh, you cock gobbler, like a couple times. (laughs) And then it's just like, it loses its luster a bit. So yeah, I got to go pirates. It's incredible. Pirates of the Caribbean, the Curse of the Black Pearl, will go on to face Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Uh, in the meantime, let's get to our next one, our final matchup in the wild card round. It is Love and Mercy versus Captain Fantastic. Love and Mercy is from 2014. It is directed by Bill Poland. It stars Paul Dano, John Cusack, Elizabeth Banks, and Paul Giamatti. And in the 1960s, Beach Boys leader Brian Wilson struggles with emerging psychosis as he attempts to craft his avant-garde pop masterpiece. In the 80s, he is trying to navigate a new relationship while being seemingly trapped in a 24-hour watch by his therapist, Dr. Landy. And we got Captain Fantastic. Came out in 2016, directed by Matt Ross, starring Viggo Mortensen, Frank Langella, Catherine Hahn, and Steve Zahn. In the forests of the Pacific Northwest, a father devoted to raising his six kids with a rigorous physical and intellectual education is forced to leave his paradise and enter the world, challenging his idea of what it means to be a parent. So let me jump in here because I feel like I might have the most controversial take on one of these films. Uh, Love and Mercy. I'd never seen it before. Didn't know what this was. I admire all the performances in this film, especially Paul Dano in the 60s and John Kustak in the 80s. Here's the thing, though. This movie is split up between the 60s story and the 80s story. I have never been more bored in a film than watching the 60s portion of this movie. Really? The, the, 80, the 80s portion is enthralling and engaging, and you're rooting for Ryan Wilson. The 60s did not work for me at all, and I was, I was bored for the entire half of this film, essentially. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. 
I see where you're coming from for sure. I, I would definitely agree that the '80s was a little bit more entertaining, but I did like the like the music because I know some of the Beach Boys songs. It was it was kind of cool learning how some of those songs came about. But as far as like the drama goes with the younger Brian Wilson, sure. yeah, in the '60s, yeah, it, it's like Paul Dano. Not that Paul Dano played him bad; he played him really well. But that part of it just yeah, there really wasn't a lot there going on. Like he kept referencing. In the 80s, he kept referencing all this stuff with his dad. You see, like, two scenes with him having, like, a fight with his dad. But it didn't really explain. Yeah. It didn't really didn't explain all that much of, to why, like, he is the way he is in the 80s. So, I see yeah. what you're saying, for sure. Well, and I know I know a good amount of the songs, too, Keith. And, and like, that was cool, seeing that element. And, like, the opening credits is the Beach Boys on stage. And it's like, oh, this is going to be a fun movie. And, and then, like, I almost feel like because of the way it's presented that, like, Brian Wilson doesn't really care about the music he's writing. Like he wants to make other stuff. I, I feel like all the songs that they're making that I know, it's like, well, I'm not supposed to care about those either. Like the way it gets presented, it just it just makes it feel really boring to me. Yeah, I think the idea is that Brian Wilson was, you know, just dealing with mental illness in a time where people didn't really know what it was. And then combined with like the drugs and the alcohol and all that, it kind of I think that's the idea, is that's how we see him in the 80s, kind of after all that's gone down. But I can understand why there was, like, kind of a little bit lost in translation between how A got to B, if you want to put it that way. For me, it works. I, I do agree, though, that the 80s story, I was always more excited whenever we got back to that, because it's just super sad, but also kind of engaging. And like you said, that was actually a really good point, that they do find a way in that 80s story to have you be able to root not only for Brian Wilson, but kind of for that relationship, kind of watching uh, Elizabeth Banks yeah. as Melinda kind of Elizabeth fight. Elizabeth Banks is amazing yeah. in this movie, too. Watching her fight and kind of come up with a plan to get him out of there. And John Cusack, I mean, his acting is just phenomenal. Um, and kind of actually giving you a villain in that storyline, too, with Paul Giamatti. It feels maybe at times it's a bit too kind of um, formulaic in the sense of what they're trying to do. But at the same time, it is based on a true story, and that did really happen, so... Definitely more engaging. The 60s stuff, it definitely got boring for me on this watch a little bit here and there. But for the most part, I liked it. I I hear all your points with it's like, he doesn't care about the music, so should I. But I still like the way they presented all of it. It was cool to see Brian get excited whenever he was happy about what he was doing. But there was elements that I didn't love on this rewatch. Some of the relationships with the other bandmates and his father you want to see explored more. But because they're splitting time between two time periods, you just kind of get what you get. But Overall, it still works for me. I think Paul Dano's great and really carries that 60s storyline. I love seeing them write the music. And it is interesting enough for me to kind of get to the end and see how it wraps up. So switching over now to Captain Fantastic, uh, first time seeing Captain Fantastic as well. Definitely got some Into the Wild vibes here with this one. Um, I had a blast with this movie, though, through and through. Viggo Mortensen is incredible in this role. The relationship with his kids and the struggles between his beliefs and the outside world kind of encroaching in. Um, I had no idea what to expect when the opening credits started on this movie, and I had so much fun uh, through and through, and I was really engaged all the way through the entire film. Yeah, I hadn't seen this one either. Um, I think I had seen like a clip or something here and there, but I definitely hadn't seen the entire movie, but I really, really liked it as well. I thought it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought this movie was a bit more comedic based on some early trailers I remember seeing or something, and there's definitely levity, but yeah, I thought it was just a really sad story that also had you kind of rooting for Viggo Mortensen's character and the kids and you just want them to be happy, but you also don't know 
where they would be most happy. And I was super fascinated. And actually, while I was watching a lot of these movies, this line from Captain Fantastic stuck with me because it kind of made me reevaluate some of the characters we see. But at one point, he looks over at his daughter who's reading a book and he asks what what it's about. And long story short, she feels conflicted because the main character is somebody that you are rooting for, maybe because they're the protagonist or whatever it may be. Like, you're supposed to root for this person, but she's like, I hate him. Like, what he's doing is disgusting. And it's like, I'm conflicted. I don't know if I should be because I hate this person as a person, but I feel like I'm supposed to root for them. And I think that's clearly supposed to be how you're supposed to feel about Viggo Mortensen's character in this role as the father. Like, he's doing some stupid shit, like stuff that nobody would do that is not good for these kids. But you are kind of rooting for him to be with them at the end. And going through a lot of these movies, I was thinking about that with a lot of these main characters. So... I thought that was a very poignant way to look at it. Um, My only real negative is (laughs) kind of going off that. I don't know how I feel about the end of this movie with them just all together. Like, I'm glad they uh, fulfilled the mother's dying wish. But I was like, hmm, I don't know. It's a little bit conflicted, which I think I'm supposed to feel. So I'm still trying to kind of figure out how I feel about the ending and how it kind of all wraps up. At the end, he does kind of find a way to strike a balance with the kids because he knows that living out in the woods... Yeah, they might be really well-educated, some of the most physically fit kids as well, but they still don't have any interaction with other people, which is also not healthy. So I liked that aspect of the kids are like, oh, we're kind of of fucked up here. Like, we may be the smartest kids alive and the most fit kids alive, but there's still something missing. So I I, I did like that that chase throughout the entire film. Super compelling. I really enjoyed it. Uh, This is going to be a tough one for me. I'm not sure if it will be for you guys, but let's go ahead and throw some votes out there. Anybody want to start? Mine's going to be a pretty simple logic here. I just got to go with what at least kept me entertained. Um, Captain Fantastic did a lot more for me than just keeping me entertained. But uh, the fact that I was bored for half of Love and Mercy, uh, I got to give my vote to Captain Fantastic here. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and throw a vote to Captain Fantastic. Just keeps me more entertained. But that's not to say that... The acting and I think the story told in Love and Mercy is really interesting. And uh, I really want to shout out to John Cusack and Paul Giamatti and Elizabeth Banks as well. I really liked the dynamic between those three characters. I thought that was awesome. So, uh, but yeah, Captain Fantastic gets my vote. Yeah, this is tough for me. I feel like I really want to vote Love and Mercy just because I'm a huge Brian Wilson fan. I love the Beach Boys and I think they found a really cool way to do a biopic differently than most. And... I definitely like the 60s storyline more than most people, I guess. But I think ultimately I am going to vote Captain Fantastic, even though I feel a bit conflicted about the ending. I do think it managed what it was trying to do better than something like Love and Mercy, which at times felt like it was trying to be goofy, tell this real story, have these dramatic moments. Whereas Captain Fantastic, they kind of did a lot of those same things. It's just I think it maybe it handled it a bit better in the story it was trying to tell. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the director, Matt Ross, actually... Uh, his upbringing was very similar to the way these kids lived. His parents were off the grid uh, believers in the Pacific Northwest. So he mm. took a lot of those elements and put it into the film. Cool. Mm, that's cool. Nice. I had no idea. Yeah. All right. There you go. So Captain Fantastic will go on to face the fugitive in the next round. All right, guys, it is time for round two. Time to introduce some new movies to the mix, our one-seaters, that is, and see how the winners of last round 
face up with them. All right, so the first matchup is The Wolf of Wall Street versus The Voices. So we heard about The Voices last round, so Austin and Keith, whoever's feeling so inclined, tell me about The Wolf of Wall Street. All right, The Wolf of Wall Street released in 2013. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, Margot Robbie, and Kyle Chandler. And our logline is, the film recounts Jordan Belfort's perspective on his career as a stockbroker in New York City and how his firm, Stranton Oakmont, engaged in rampart corruption and fraud on Wall Street, which ultimately led to his downfall. All righty, three hours, The Wolf of Wall Street. Doesn't feel any shorter on this rewatch, I'll tell you that. But Yeah, this let's address it. This movie's too fucking long. Great it's movie. It's way too, too long. long. Great movie, too long. <laughs> Classic Scorsese right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy can make guys, some long movies. <laughs> you guys remember when everybody when this movie was coming out was like, I mean, that's the beauty of it. The film's about excess and greed. And they really displayed that in the running time. They really put in as i'm not even joking they put in like they really put in all this excess and greed like there's scenes you don't even need but it just displays how the length these characters and it's like shut the fuck up like it's too long (laughs) (laughs) be cognizant of your audience's time (laughs) yeah um (laughs) anybody want to start with wolf of wall street i mean i've seen this one several times now i think the worst thing i can say about it is that it's too long but i think it is a solid movie (laughs) here's the thing i think it's uh fantastically made all the performances are great my main argument against The Wolf of Wall Street coming into this was just that I was going to say there's nobody you can root for in this film. Every character kind of sucks except for Kyle Chandler's, these douchey stockbroker frat boys. Like, you can't really get behind any of them. But the thing with the voices is you can't really root for Ryan Reynolds' character either. So that argument's out the window, and I don't even know what to do now. The only thing with the voices, I guess they at least display it with like Jackie Weaver's character that you can feel bad for him despite what he's done. Whereas I don't feel bad for Jordan Pelford or, or no, uh, Donnie not at Azoff, all. so so it is it's a perfect it's a perfect matchup then yeah I mean both both, both characters go down in the end. Have you guys been on a uh, Jordan Belfort's Instagram? I don't want to look at that guy's Instagram. <laughs> it's called it's called the Wolf Reacts. Oh God, <laughs> he scares me. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street is still a fun movie. I really enjoyed it, and yeah, like we just discussed, it is really long, but I think it does fill it up pretty well i don't think it drags a whole lot maybe there's maybe four or five scenes it probably could have cut down a little bit on but um yeah i think it's i think it tells the story really well and like you said austin it it it's just about these like douchebag frat guys that just get carried away in their riches and to see their partying and their all their antics and the crazy shit that they did um it's it's nuts um so yeah entertains me every time I've seen this movie. It's probably at least my 10th time to see it now. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't really have fun this time around. Um, I remember when I saw it in theaters, I thought it was a really good time. But this time around, I felt like it was more cringe, just that these guys really thought that they were going to get away with all this stuff and that their behavior at the time was okay. Like, looking back on it now, it's just like, uh, like you just kind of feel so gross watching this movie. Oh, yeah. I definitely feel gross watching it. But it's just that's kind of what I like about it, though, is that it just shows how gross these guys were and and how crazy they were it's weird i think in a lot of ways the best part about the wolf of wall street is that it is a biopic and it's a real story if this was like a fictional story i'd be like what was the point of this like these characters all suck like at the end it's like they kind of got away with some things and like he's still out there making money so it's like is this weirdly a happy ending like i don't know but the fact that it is a biopic and it's a real story, 
it does make his origin and watching him get to where he got to pretty fascinating. Like Austin said, he's disgusting. He doesn't deserve any happiness in his life. I hope he's doing terrible. Uh, but <laughs> it doesn't mean that, like watching him make this happen isn't like, oh, my God, how did he do this? It's crazy. And Scorsese presents the movie so well. Yes, again, it is too long. But like he said, I do agree. What they do inject in here is engaging. I mean, I never really found myself bored watching it. And whenever they bring in some of the side characters in particular, like Kyle Chandler as the guy that's going to finally track this guy down, get him. Kyle Chandler's so good. Oh, my God. He's so, yeah, he's great. Love him. Um, It does make it even more engaging. So it's like they're always upping themselves whenever and then watching them try and react and kind of counter some of the new problems coming at them is super interesting and fascinating. Um it's just weird because it's like I don't love the voices by any means. I think it's really good, but I, I didn't love this one on a rewatch. I'm kind of with more towards Austin, I guess, which is I can appreciate it. But it is it is weird to watch a movie this long and just be like at the end. Yeah, he kind of sucked at the beginning and he sucks now. I don't know what to take away from it other than how brilliantly it's made, which does should get a lot of points. Obviously, the characters are just awful. <laughs> Here's the thing that I'm kind of weighing in my mind is. I think the voices as a film like certainly just doesn't even compare to The Wolf of Wall Street in terms of just kind of everything. I think the best thing about the voices is A, seeing Ryan Reynolds do something different, and then B, they did really nail that third act. Uh, but I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, the quality of filmmaking with The Wolf of Wall Street, I think, is so much better. It's just hard to kind of compare these two in my mind. I don't know which way I want to vote. Yeah, I it's tough. Like, I want to talk more about the voices. It's just I don't really have much to say. I think we kind of covered everything. In the beginning, it's super well acted. It's super different and it balances genres in a pretty interesting way. Um, you don't root for the character, but like I said, you do feel bad upon finding out more about his history. Um, presentation solid, but yeah, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street, it's Scorsese and the way they present it is pretty top tier. So, I mean, Keith, is that how you feel about it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think... Out of these two, Wolf of Wall Street is just one I can I can put on on a rainy day and just enjoy it and watch these assholes do their crazy shit. And as far as the voices goes, I just don't see me watching it that many more times. I liked it, but it kind of did get disturbing there in the second half, and it did not go in the direction I thought it was going to go. I thought it was going to be more of like a darker comedy, and it ended up being a little bit more of like a horror disturbing film. So I don't know. I don't see myself watching that one too much in the future, so... I'm going to vote for Wolf. The Wolf just reacted to your vote, Keith, and he <laughs> liked it. Oh I'm my God. sell you this pen. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of an impossible matchup. The Wolf of Wall Street is just such a stellar made film. Um, well, I don't love any of these characters. The performances are fantastic. The direction's amazing. The visuals are incredible. I just feel like there's no way the voices could beat out The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, it's, I want the voices to win because it's kind of like an underdog in that sense. But I think you guys made a good I point. I feel the same way. Yeah, like whenever you set it up, it's like, despite Jordan Belfort being garbage, it's not like Ryan Reynolds' character is a saint in the voices. I mean, like I get, like I said already, you can feel bad for the guy, but he did kill three people. And it's like, ugh, Jesus. I mean, he does not get a happy ending for a reason in that movie. So maybe in a way it makes it a bit easier because nobody's great in these movies. So... I think for that reason, I think Scorsese's presentation and skill in terms of putting this story together is kind of unparalleled. So I think I'll vote for Wolf as well. It's funny too, Matt, because you said if the Wolf of Wall Street had been fictional, you kind of would have been like, well, what is the point 
and yeah. the voices is fictional and it's kind of like well what was the point you know like it's cool that you balance genres but overall like yeah it's not the best bad movie i've ever seen so it kind of takes away from it in that sense good point yeah okay so the wolf of wall street will move on to the semi-finals before we get there though it is time i'm off the deep end <laughs> Oh, don't worry, I'll spare you. Watch as I dive in. <laughs> I'm in the shallow now. Of course, if anybody was unsure, <laughs> it is time for A Star is Born. I think a couple of new stars were born just now. Uh, this one is from 2018, <laughs> of course, directed by Bradley Cooper. Stars Bradley Cooper as well. Lady Gaga and the legendary Sam Elliott. A hard-drinking musician discovers and falls in love with a young, up-and-coming singer. And guys, we have a big task, because we have to compare this one to something like Gattaca. Another weird-ass matchup. Austin, you submitted A Star is Born. How about you tell us how you feel about it? I actually want Keith to start us off, because A Star is Born is one of (laughs) my favorite movies to come out in the recent years. And I remember a few weeks ago, Keith saying he watched it for the first time. And he kept me in suspense all these weeks. I gotta know your thoughts on one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a fun one. So I. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like Jackson Maine there. Yeah, it was a fun one. Fun Give one. me a drink. <laughs> um, but no, I really did like this movie. Um, it went in a way different direction than I thought it was gonna go, but I didn't know the characters were gonna have such depth to them and. Such a cool story being told. I really, I really like the beginning of this movie when it first opens up with that, uh, that Black Eyes song um, playing. Of course, The Shallow is a good one, and the other songs that were sung were good. And it was just kind of cool how they show how a star is born. It's in the, it's in the name, yeah. like how these, how some, some of these, these artists become really big, you know, and how they can come from nothing. Like she's playing in a, uh, a drag bar. Um, so yeah, it was pretty crazy how people are discovered and all that and i like how they told it and and then how some of these artists that are in the top you know have all these mental issues and end up committing suicide we've seen it a lot so yeah it's a really cool movie yeah this um like i said it's one of my favorite movies to come out recently um i think one of my favorite things about this movie is it does take such a different turn uh from the way it starts out like whenever it starts out this movie is really fun like you get noticed by this big time celebrity. You you get taken on the road with him. You you get sent to Hollywood. Like it's such a fun uh, first act of the film. I also think the way that they filmed all the live music is really cool. Like they filmed everything at Coachella. Everything that they do on stage is live and done for real. Because Lady Gaga herself is an artist, and she like really added that element to the film and said we got to do it for real or it's going to look weird. Um, so I think just in terms of filmmaking, that aspect is really fun. Um, and then. Like you said, Keith, these characters have so much depth to them. I remember that when I first saw it in theaters, by the time the credits actually rolled and we do kind of take that that different shift in the second half of the movie, um, I, I was tearing up in the theaters. I was really um, emotionally involved in these, this couple's relationship. Uh, Bradley Cooper is pretty easy to root for in this movie, as is Lady Gaga. And I was just completely bought into this story. And I had just as good a time uh, this, with this rewatch as well. Oh, yeah. This is a tough one for me. Um, I watched this one in theaters for the first time. And yeah, I mean, it was pretty devastating, I feel like. Definitely hit me in a real place. And I got emotional as well, like Austin mentioned. And I never wanted to watch it again. It was one of those movies where it's like, yeah, I saw it and it did what it did to me. And I don't want to see it again because it makes me feel not good. It doesn't mean the movie's bad. It doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. the movie's bad, but it just yeah. I don't feel good. 
And I got to be honest, watching it this time, I really, ugh, I, I have to preface everything with, I think it's a great movie. I just, I kind of hate watching it. I don't feel good at all watching this movie. Like Austin said, it's so fun in, in its beginning. And if it had continued along that, it would have been such a run-of-the-mill, bland movie. But where it goes, it introduces so much depth to these characters. It's so just sad, uh, but it's so beautifully told. But yeah, I, I, I just, I, I don't ever want to watch this again. I just feel so <laughs> sad. It makes me feel like I want to like look away from the screen, like watching their relationship deteriorate. It's like, God, these people are awful for each other, but they love each other. But loving each other is not enough. It's like they're terrible for each other. And then watching like the agent at the end. See, I think they're terrible for each other when alcohol is involved. But I think when yeah. when that's not something they're doing, like you can really see why they work together. Yeah, and I think that's something that they um, put on display really well in this film is how detrimental alcohol can be to, to people's lives. And and I I thought that aspect worked really well in this movie because I, I think their relationship is great until one of them is drinking or one of them is drunk, and then and then it is very toxic. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. agree. Like Keith said as well, I think an extra kind of fascinating element is the actual A Star is Born. And it's also cool because Lady Gaga, real famous person, you think back to her early albums and they were very kind of poppy. Like they were awesome, super catchy songs, but that's kind of all they were. And like seeing where she is now doing what she actually wants to do. Super interesting to watch this movie kind of watching her be introduced. Maybe she's going to do country rock as well. But then it's like, well, you, know, you got to do pop music. And it's like, Okay, I don't really want to. I'm not passionate about it. Then seeing where she's at the end, it's like, oh, not only do you see this real transformation and journey, but it kind of reflects Lady Gaga's actual journey. So it's kind of that added Wolf of Wall Street thing where it's like, oh, that can actually track real life stuff, which is super cool. The stuff about her appearance and the relationship yeah. with her father in this film, too, was also um, added from her real life. Like she added those elements to the movie. See, here's the thing, though. What what you're saying, Matt, is um, actually we're almost word for word what my wife says about this movie. She also loved it when we saw it in theaters, but she was like, I, I never want to see that again. It makes me feel terrible. Yeah. I think that's what's really special about this movie is that it does elicit that response from so many people. It really does strike an emotional chord. Um, I understand it doesn't really check the rewatchability factor or turning on randomly box, um, but I think it's just worth calling out that this movie really does strike that emotional uh, resonance with the audiences that have seen the film. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, lots of, you know, great little things too. I mean, I said I kind of already with the cast, but Sam Elliott, I think, is just used so well in this movie. An extra devastating element with the brother. And it's like, it's so weird because it feels like there should still be more scenes with them together at the end where they kind of get some type of resolution, but they really don't. They just get a quick, like, I always idolize you, not dad. And that's kind of the last thing they say to each other. It's like, Ugh. Man, that scene <laughs> got me. Whenever Simulate just goes off Drives driving, away. crying. I can tell that you guys are going to be leaning towards Gattaca for this one, but I also got to call out, Matt, you mentioned that you love a good cut. That cut at the end when she's performing live, and then it cuts to her and Bradley Cooper singing the song together that he wrote for her. Yes, that cut. Oh, God. Whenever she's singing this song, and it's like, you know, beautiful, and it's Lady Gaga singing, then it just cuts to Bradley Cooper kind of like, doing that thing singers doing like they're just like trying something out so it's not like he's like full-on singing he's just kind of saying the words and it's like ooh, that's a good cut yeah you're right that was a good one i mean this one's impossible to compare to gattaca so <laughs> that's where it gets interesting like austin said i think well i don't have any fun watching this movie <laughs> i mean that response is an important one to consider and it's like 
I have so much fun with something like Gattaca. Is it as good as a movie? That's where I have to like try and differentiate my feelings and figure something out. So, Keith, are you struggling with that, too? Or is this a bit easier for you since like you just watched A Star is Born for the first time? I would almost say the acting in the movies, you know, better made with, with A Star is Born. But as far as having like a fun movie to put on and watch all the time, Gattaca would definitely take it there. This is where this random bracket is definitely difficult because it's just the criteria is so gray. I guess that's what we kind of got to decide here with with this matchup is are we specifically deciding the best movie to put on randomly or are we deciding the best made random movie? Like which way are we leaning now that we've kind of gone through a few of these votes? I think I'm just trying to do the best movie. All right. Well, in that case, I I guess we'll have to vote with Stars Born. Nice. All right. Interesting. Good, good, good. Um. I, despite that, despite what I just said, I am still going to go Gattaca, and I do acknowledge it. I'm probably in the minority, just like with how much I love Gattaca. I think its premise, its execution, the acting while subtle, I think everything about it is just fantastic. I love the relationships. It's a story like tailor-made to me. I think it's just so freaking interesting to me. I love it. I've always loved it. I've seen it so many times. The score itself is gorgeous. The ending really hits me. So I'm going to go with that. That being said, I love A Star is Born. I'm never going to watch it again. Super well made. Bradley Cooper. Talk about a directorial debut where he just knocked it out of the park. I only have actual nitpicks here and there when it comes to like the speed of certain relationships between friends and like theirs. But the only negative I have is I don't like watching it. But I'm going to go with Gattaca because I think it's a better movie. And I understand I'm in the minority. <laughs> the thing with Gattaca is that relationship between Ethan Hawke and Jude Law is so good in the film and the acting is, is top notch. I, I think both of these movies are, are really well made. Um, that being said, I, I think a star is born just does a little bit more uh, with the way it actually got made. Um, the live performances is really putting that over for me. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw my vote obviously to a star is born. Even though I personally am done talking about a star is born because it makes me too sad. It will be moving on to face the Wolf of Wall Street in the semifinals. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's going to no. be impossible. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Well, speaking of impossible, Austin, I have another weird as F matchup for you. Um, it's time to talk Pan's Labyrinth, my friends, from 2006, of course, directed by Guillermo del Toro. This one stars Ivana Baccaro, Sergi Lopez, Maribel Verdú, Doug Jones, and Ariadne Gill. In the phylogenous Spain of 1944, the bookish young stepdaughter of a sadistic army officer escapes into an eerie but captivating fantasy world. What is it going up against, you may ask? Well, of course, it's going up against Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I know uh, Pan's Labyrinth is another one of your favorite films. Why don't you kick us off with your love for Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, man, I, I love Pan's Labyrinth. This is one that... For whatever reason, I always think I'm going to like less when I watch it, but I, I just think it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful movie. I don't use beautiful that often when talking about movies, but the fact that it does feel like this weird children's story, but it's kind of equally presented in the midst of this crazy war and this family drama, like the way everything is balanced is so incredible. I think Ophelia being this young actress Ivana Baccaro, such a captivating presence. And I love it. I just think it's so crazy. We've talked a lot about, and I think for me, whenever genres can kind of blend and move together, it's something I really appreciate. And watching this real kind of effed up drama in the midst of a war, but then our main character is kind of not really bothered by that, just kind of going off into her fantasy world to escape it and escape like 
the idea of her mom possibly dying. It's super scary and kind of the element of, is this real or is she making up some of this? There's kind of evidence that points at both in the movie, which I really enjoy seeing on display. Guillermo del Toro, a master of his craft, seeing him direct this one, he did a perfect job. It's just a beautiful movie. I love it to death. What'd you guys think? Was this your first time? This was not my first time. I um, I know you majored in film in college, Matt, and, and I took some film classes in college. I had to watch this film in every single one of my film classes. Did oh. you have to do that as well? No, actually. I don't think I ever watched this one in school. Yeah, I think this is probably my third or fourth time ha- having seen Pants Labyrinth, and, and the first three times were all in all in college. Wow. Dang. <laughs> well, do you like it? <laughs> like, I, don't know if that's a good or ba- I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> It's weird because the first couple of times I saw it, it was homework. So oh, it's like, yeah. ugh, I got to watch this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I've actually grown to really appreciate Pan's Labyrinth. Um, Guillermo del Toro, it seems like he just got to run wild with this one in all the best ways. Um, his creativity is really on display here. The story is super engaging. Um, it's a foreign language film, so you've got subtitles. But it's kind of like what we talked about with Writers of Justice, where they do such a good job of conveying emotions with the characters that the subtitles don't take anything away from it. I love the dynamic of this civil war with the fantasy world it's it's such a a sharp contrast between the two um yeah it, it's i think it's a great example of just top quality filmmaking i had never seen it before and i didn't know that it was a foreign film until i started watching it <laughs> i didn't look up anything about it and it was all like spanish subtitles and i looked it up i was like oh shit okay there's gonna be no english but i'm cool with that i, I like foreign films um but yeah I, I had no idea what was going on with the labyrinth it kind of took it had it was just a slow start for me to get into it. Just had kind of it's a slow burn. Yeah, for I sure. had no idea what was going on. Uh, the whole war aspect of it was a little, little weird for me. I I I get it. It was like these fascists in Spain and all that, but it was, it was just kind of weird that it was just all in this one part of the woods. Um, but you know, as the second half kind of as or as I got into the second half, I really started liking it. Still was kind of confused where the labyrinth came from. I think I just must have missed that, maybe because I was not reading the subtitles um, like I should have been. I think it's just there. It just sounds like it's just a labyrinth that's there that doesn't yeah. really mean anything to anybody else, essentially. And the opening is explained to Ophelia that the labyrinth has been there since before the mill. So nobody really knows where it's came yeah. from, but it, it but it's existed for a long time. And Mercedes knew about it, right? Yeah. Mercedes just knew the history. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it was an interesting movie, though. I think it's definitely one I want to go back and rewatch. But the acting was awesome. The 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 action in it was pretty brutal, more than I thought yeah. it was going to be. That captain, I guess, is it Sergi oh, that plays yeah. him? Holy yeah. shit, that guy played a really good part. He was great. Great villain. Yeah, really good villain. Um, super scary guy. So yeah, I, I liked it overall. Um, I definitely want to go back and rewatch it, though, because I know I missed some stuff. I almost feel like you don't get enough of the fantasy world in this one. Like what you get, it's really good, but I, I was kind of wanting more this time around, um, especially with some of the monsters. Like I really yeah. dug the horror elements of this one. The one with the eyes on its hands is super creepy. I kind of wish we got a few more scenes like this because she is like the heir to the underworld. Um, and, and there's really only a, a little bit of creepiness there. I, I, I was I was wanting a little bit more from the fantasy world this time around. Yeah, it's like I kept forgetting about that it was even there. I guess that's when my that was my issue with it is that it, it was diving really deep into this war story in this village and this captain and all that. And then all of a sudden this creepy goblin comes up. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this is going on, too. It's a fawn, Keith. Oh, it's not a goblin. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's another thing I've talked about already with like simplicity. I think something that's cool is it feels like on the surface this one is supposed to be more of a fantasy story. But I like that it's more of this kind of wartime drama because the whole thing is like, okay, the Fon's like, you are the heir to the underworld. So to prove that, to make sure you're not mortal, you have three tasks. Like we really only see the supernatural fantasy stuff when she's doing a task. So I like that. I like that it's like not as much as you would expect. I totally agree with you guys. That would have been cool to get even more uh, to see Guillermo del Toro go even more wild. But I was just pleasantly surprised that like the war story is actually interesting. You would think that like the fantasy stuff would be the most interesting. But watching kind of at the end of this war, this mill exists. It's run by the army and it's like there are these rebels all around him and watching them try and figure out a way to take them out is like, I don't want them to win. And then they reveal that Mercedes and the doctor kind of moles in the operation and watching them kind of maneuver all these characters and play their game is super cool. And then watching their kind of demise come later is like, oh, it's so sad. So I would like more fantasy, too. But I do like that what we actually get outside of that is pretty interesting. So uh, kind of a great matchup because it's two fantasy films. We now have Pirates of the Caribbean kind of entering the fray here. Um, A very fun movie. Very different from Pan's Labyrinth. An argument I was going to have for Pirates is that it really does stand the test of time very well. Uh, But Pan's Labyrinth came out in 2006, so kind of right on the heels of Pirates of the Caribbean. also looks great. Um, It's a really tough one because I think both these movies are made very well and have held up very well uh, with time. Completely agree with that. I think anybody out there, if you're still doubting like the power of good practical effects, here we are almost 20 years later for both these movies, and they look incredible. They could have been made three years ago, and I would have said, makes sense. Um, I think for me, what I'm leaning toward here, I want to get your guys' opinion on this before we vote officially, is Pirates, like Austin said, is super fun. I know Keith agrees. I mean, it's just an incredible action adventure. I miss movies like it, to be honest. Kind of those just swashbuckling stories, even if it's not pirate-related, just this type of action adventure story I love. Sounds like you need to go see Jungle Cruise, my friend. Oh, Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise. Um, I well, I guess we'll see. I'll pay my thirty dollars on Disney Plus. <laughs> we are sponsored by Disney Plus. Uh, no, we're not. Um, but we can be though. If you're listening, Disney, oh. we we'll we'll sell out. Just sponsor us. We don't care. Yeah, I'll, we need I'll that vote sweet for Disney a Disney money. movie over uh, a Star Is Born if you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think um, Pirates is so great in what it's trying to do. Um, honestly, it's probably a 10 out of 10 on what it's trying to do. And I think Pan's Labyrinth also is, but what I'm leaning towards is I think what Pan's Labyrinth does is more interesting to me. I think they could have played the fantasy element super straight, and that would have been kind of cool. But the whole thing of, like, is Ophelia, like, our main character, this kid, like, is she just in her stories, as her mom says? Is she just making this up to keep her entertained in this really boring, like, home living situation? Maybe. There's elements like whenever the captain runs up at the end and sees Ophelia talking to nobody, it's like, hmm, that's interesting. Or maybe it is a real story. Maybe she really is kind of the heir to the underworld. And when she dies, maybe it's not just her dying, which maybe that actually is happening. I mean, the Mandrake route was real. We did see that. That was kind of interacted with multiple characters. And her mother did actually get healthier when it was put in play. So kind of the idea of is it real? Is it not? just kind of elevates it for me. And I think the Mercedes character, Ophelia, the doctor, these characters in particular just really kind of grow on you and they go up against one of the most sadistic villains of all time. So 
Well, I love pirates. I think Pans just does more of what it's trying to do, and I think it accomplishes more. So I think I may be leaning that way. See, here's the thing. I wouldn't argue that Pan's Labyrinth does more than pirates. I think both of these movies exceed at exactly what they're trying to do. Pirates of the Caribbean sets out to be a fun adventure movie, and it, it nails that at, on all levels. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth sets out to be an interesting thriller horror movie. It nails that on all levels as well. The thing that you just said that is striking chord with me is that you miss movies like this. I do, I do as well. I, I really am nostalgic for this kind of era of filmmaking of when Pirates of the Caribbean was coming out. Um, and, and for nailing an action-adventure story that is super fun, great engaging characters, also hasn't aged poorly, um, I, I think I got to give my vote for Pirates. Yeah, I think you worded that perfectly better than I did. I would just say that these movies both do great with what they're trying to do. I think I'm just more personally interested in what Pans did. But yeah, I think the the way you put that is perfect, yeah. This is an easy one for me. No! Pirates Caribbean, all the way. Drink up, me hearties, yo ho! All right, guys. So Pirates of the Caribbean will go on to the semifinals, and it will face the winner of our next matchup here. So, guys, it is time for the final round two entry, The Fugitive from 1993. Austin, tell me about this one. All right. The Fugitive is directed by Andrew Davis. It stars Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. And after being framed for the murder of his wife and unjustly sentenced to death, Dr. Richard Kimball escapes from custody and sets out to find his wife's actual killer. So this one is, of course, going up against Captain Fantastic. Yeah, so I submitted this one. The Fugitive has always been one of my favorite go-to thrillers. Man, this movie's just awesome, and I think it still holds up really well. Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones are really great in it. Again, I like the whole trying to prove somebody innocent, prove somebody guilty sort of thing um, story. It, it goes by pretty quick, I will say that. It's, it, it's not really one that drags. I think it uh, fills its time wisely, and all the characters that you think are going to be bad might be good. All the ones you think are good might be bad. Um, so yeah, I just like the overall twists and turns in it. I disagree with everything yeah. Keith I, just I, said. I, I think this movie's it. trash. <laughs> this is gonna be it for us. <laughs> I thought this movie was so bad. I was wiggling my mouse every 15 minutes. <laughs> I could not believe every time I checked the mouse, there was somehow still an hour left in the movie. Whoa. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, I think, is a great actor. Yeah. Terrible in this film. What? Overacting like crazy. <laughs> so unbelievable. The story is the most predictable thing I've ever seen in my life. I had a terrible time <laughs> watching this movie. I will agree the story is predictable. Like you know he's going to be proven innocent in the end. But Tommy Lee, I thought I thought this is Tommy Lee Jones one of his best performances. Tommy Lee Jones honestly ruins this movie for me. I think he won what? the Oscar for this. Are you being serious? The standards must have been different in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm looking at it right now. He has received 4 Winning the Best Supporting Actor for The Fugitive. <laughs> I can't believe this movie won any awards, honestly. <laughs> Damn, Austin. I did not see this wow. coming. I really did not like I knew this you weren't going to like love it, but I didn't think you were going to hate it. Jeez. Whenever Austin said at the beginning that there was one movie that he thought the acting was trash, I was like, it's either Gattaca or The Fugitive. <laughs> and that was, the second Austin said that he liked Gattaca, I was like, I guess it's The Fugitive. <laughs> oh, man. I got to say... I don't know what happened here because I watched this and I was like, oh, I haven't seen The Fugitive in forever. It's going to be awesome. Um, and I was like, I have never seen this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was watching and I was like, okay, I guess I was thinking of something else. 
Weirdly enough, um, yes, well, it was predictable, and I think maybe slightly too long for my taste. Two hours, 15 minutes too long for my taste. <laughs> Got him. Uh, I thought it was super <laughs> enjoyable. I love Harrison Ford. I love Tommy Lee Jones. And I actually, for whatever reason, you know, their performances worked for me here. I love the supporting cast. I just like the premise of, like, getting the murder out of the way early, and it's just right away Harrison Ford escapes, and he's going to solve it himself. I like that there's no... Should I or should I not? Like, he's just going to do his thing and figure it out. And I thought it was super compelling, very interesting. So it's not like a new favorite of mine or anything like that. But I really enjoyed myself with this one. Well, Austin, shit. Really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Keith. I was really hoping you were going to like it. <laughs> well, it's okay. Because maybe uh, the votes, will we'll see how it kind of shakes out. But we've got to compare this one to Captain Fantastic. So, well, I will say, first and foremost, Captain Fantastic does not have a scene where a human jumps out of a dam and clearly hits his head on a rock. <laughs> he doesn't does hit his front flip. And then <laughs> Why does he do lands a front in the flip? water and doesn't die. <laughs> Why would he not try to jump into the water and, lie and ride it down? He instead chooses to do a full <laughs> double front flip into the concrete barrier of the dam. <laughs> Whenever that happened, I was like, did I miss... Hold on, I gotta rewind. There's no way he just dove his head into a rock. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. I love that I like line. That. That's a great line. I like line. that line too. I'm with you, Keith. Is this a Harrison Ford problem? No, honestly, it's a Tommy Lee Jones problem. I actually thought Harrison Ford was decent for what he had to do in the film. I mean, he's definitely collecting a paycheck with this one, but I just thought Tommy Lee Jones did not give a good performance. I, I just, it really seemed like overacting to me. Or it seemed like he was told, like, ham it up a bit and... The hammy up cop detective character just doesn't really work for me. But do you think, to be fair, do you think it's Tommy Lee Jones's overacting, or is it just that he isn't being like how he is in ninety nine percent of other movies, which is just like, all right, what's going on here? I see what you're saying though. This is a very different Tommy Lee Jones. If people haven't seen this movie, and you've seen him in like every other movie <laughs> where he's just like Men in Black is like. Hey, how's it going? Or no country. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> like this one, he's just like a really chipper, fun guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so just kind of to rein us back in. Uh, Captain Fantastic, I was surprised at how heartwarming it feels, even though we still have that element of like, is this best for the kids? Is it not? Um, the family dynamic, like sticking together and, and being this really tight-knit unit. Uh, really touched uh, touched the heartstring that I didn't expect to get from this movie in the opening of the film. Um, I was really bought into the relationships. I think the acting is really top-notch in this movie. Um, and kind of just everything about Captain Fantastic worked for me uh, seeing it for the first time. All right, Keith, what about you? You submitted both of these. I mean, you obviously love The Fugitive, but do you love it more than our more recent favorite, Captain Fantastic? I think I would say I still do. Yeah, I still love The Fugitive more. Captain Fantastic is a great movie, but I don't see myself like putting it on a lot. And I know we keep falling back on the rewatchability thing, but in this in this particular matchup, I got to go with the rewatchability thing. So I'm going to go with The Fugitive. It's always fun. Um, the acting, sorry, Austin. I really like it. <laughs> I love Tommy Lee Jones' character. I love Harrison Ford's character and all the, all the whole cop story and then all the different villains that are going along with it. It's just a really fun film, simple film. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go shoot a vote to Fugitive. Yeah, so this was, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it, with these two movies, this was the first time I watched either of them. 
And I think I actually like Captain Fantastic the least out of the three of us based on what we were talking about. I still really liked it, but I think it didn't hit me as well as uh, it did for you guys. That being said, I think I'm going to vote for Captain Fantastic. And I really like The Fugitive. I was glad I finally got to see it because I thought I had for years. I thought <laughs> I had seen this movie. And I really enjoyed it. Loved Harrison Ford. Loved Tommy Lee Jones. My only edge up for Captain Fantastic, even though I didn't love the ending of that, is that whenever things start to unravel in The Fugitive and it gets to the end, I like the reveal of the villain. I was like, oh, that's cool. But the whole, like, the plot, what they were trying to do, and they were trying to kill Kimball, but then the wife died in the process, and it's like, oh, it's just like about like this drug and who is going to approve it and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, that didn't really feel like a satisfying conclusion. I'm glad he, you know, was innocent and like he and Tommy Lee Jones got away in the end and they were scot-free. But yeah, it just didn't feel like a good finale because I was super interested leading up. So it didn't kind of, uh, I don't know, it didn't feel super satisfying for me in the end. I will give a shout out to one scene in The Fugitive, uh, the scene where Harrison Ford is undercover as the janitor and has to save the kid by looking at his x-rays. I did really enjoy that scene. I kind of wish we'd gotten more um, Dr. Richard Kimball in the movie than we, than we were able to get. That is a good scene, Austin, with Julian Moore as the, as the, uh, yeah, the nurse. Yeah, that was cool. Well, Austin, I don't, I mean, I know you didn't love The Fugitive, but got good news for you. There was a spinoff sequel in the late 90s called U.S. Marshals, where Tommy Lee Jones plays the same character. So sounds like a film right up your alley. And guess who's the villain? Guess who's the villain, Austin? Dolph Lundgren? No. <laughs> That's a good guess. No. Robert Dunny Jr. From the Shaggy Dog. <laughs> oh, wow. And I guess I guess really uh, during his drug phase, too. <laughs> oh, he definitely was drugged up in U.S. Marshals. He, he did not look good. <laughs> Sorry, RDJ. He didn't look good. He would probably agree with me on that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so despite the fact that I actually like The Fugitive quite a bit, Captain Fantastic edge it out and will go on to face Pirates of the Caribbean in the semifinals. All right, guys. So we kind of talked about it last round. We are in for a toughie. The semifinals will, of course, start with The Wolf of Wall Street versus... A star is born, guys. We have two, I think, objectively really good movies. <laughs> so it's going to be tough. Exceptionally well-made movies as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't even know how we judge these two. What are you guys thinking? It's tough. I mean, I guess a lot of the experience has to be taken into account. Not just like how many times you watch it. I mean, like while watching it, how do you feel um, the quality of filmmaking, like you said, the performances, obviously, the story, um, probably not to as much a degree as last time, because last time it was The Wolf of Wall Street versus The Voices, and we were like, oh, these are all bad characters, like all terrible people. Here, definitely not the same case, but I think, you know, there are obvious, purposeful, unlikable elements at times of like both um, Jackson, Maine, and Alley, where it's like, there's times where you're like, ah, oh, why are you doing what you're doing? Same thing in Wolf of Wall Street. So, yeah, tough, super well-made movies. I don't know where to start. Do you guys know? <laughs> I think The Wolf of Wall Street is probably like just a masterclass of filmmaking and, and unveiling a very complicated story. The, th the thing that is kind of edging out of Star Wars Born for me is just that it, it elicits more of an emotional response from me when I watch the movie. And, and like I've said, while I think the Wolf of Wall Street story is, is very interested, I am not as emotionally invested in any of the characters as I am 
and the characters from A Star is Born. I see what you're saying, Austin. So with that argument, I'm going to go ahead and go. I'm going to go with Wolf of Wall Street. Very confident in that vote. Key. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, Austin, it's the masterclass of filmmaking. It's a Scorsese movie. The story is just more interesting to me. It's fun to watch how these assholes made all their money and, you know, being fraudulent in what they were doing. And it starts to take a turn from the partying to more like, oh shit, like we're actually going to go to jail. And it's more of a fun movie as well. And it just combines so many different elements. And then as far as Star is Born, it's right up there with it. But I think Wolf of Wall Street just takes it by a little little edge. So It's funny. I actually think a Star is Born story personally is more interesting to me. Um, I, I really like the aspect of, of plucking up a random person and turning them into a celebrity and, and kind of seeing what that looks like. Uh, that I found really compelling um, this time around. I think while you do get those fun elements in Wolf of Wall Street, you also kind of get that in the first act of A Star is Born. Um, and then it gets a little bit more deep um, and a little bit darker as the movie goes on. Uh, so just in terms of, of having an interesting story, having emotionally investing characters, um, I'll throw my vote for A Star is Born. Yeah, I think these are both great movies, like we said, super well made, just really engaging. They tackle very different subject matters, but they find a way to make it way more watchable than it has any right to be. <sighs> the thing I'm struggling with is one of these movies has way better characters. And then the other one, I think, is lesser in some qualities, but I think it just kind of handles what it's trying to do maybe better. And I guess what I'm referring to is I think A Star is Born has better characters. But after that first act, I mean, earlier I said, like, the first act was super fun for me, but then after that it gets so dark and, like, I don't want to watch it. And that is true, but I think also once they kind of get together and it's like they start to drift apart, like her career starts to take off, his goes down, it does get kind of... The story itself is a bit kind of... Yeah, you know, that's expected, kind of predictable. I get that. I've seen that before. Um, the thing that kind of carries it into the third act and the ending is just the performances for me of Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, which are out of this world. Whereas I think The Wolf of Wall Street is so long, but it has incredible performances. It's incredibly engaging. I agree with Keith on that. And it, it kind of, like I said earlier, it finds a great way to up the ante as it goes on. So while it isn't as deep as something like A Star is Born, I just think Scorsese's directing and Terrence Winter's writing, the way it all comes together in this weird three-plus-hour presentation, while I don't feel as much coming away from it like I do with A Star is Born, I just think Wolf of Wall Street might be a better movie. Is it a better story? No, not at all. But I think, and it's not better characters, I just think it's a better movie. I think while I do kind of get bogged down in the darkness of like the second and third acts of A Star is Born, I think while well, I'm thinking about it, it also does get a bit more formulaic in that second act as they kind of drift apart. And that nails it in the end, but it does lose me a little bit in there. So I think I'm going to go Wolf. I don't feel great about it. Um, these are two amazing ones, but I think, I think I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, it's funny. I think I am almost giving too much credit to the way they had to film those live scenes in A Star is Born, because I think the actual making of A Star is Born is, was more challenging in a weird way than The Wolf of Wall Street is, but that's just purely subjective on my end. I don't, I don't actually know that, um, but I just think the way they made the movie is also just fascinating to me, um, yeah. and something that I find really engaging when I watch A Star is Born as well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, it, I think that's very challenging, so... Can't fault that. Um, yeah, that, that was a tough one. 
All right. I know I don't know how you guys feel, but this next one's going to be pretty easy for me. So it's time for the next semifinal round. Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Fantastic. Who wants to start? You said it's easy. Why don't you kick us off? All right, here's the deal. I watched Captain Fantastic for the first time, and it was a really good movie. Vigo Mortensen, hey, man, you knock it out of the park as always. You did it again, partner. Did the end of this movie work for me completely? I don't know. I don't know who I'm rooting for in this movie all the way through. Kind of makes me feel icky, icky, icky in my tummy. But you know what I do know is that Pirates of the Caribbean, it's not as deep of a movie. The characters are never going to feel anywhere near as interesting as something like Captain Fantastic. But it's a comedy. It's an action movie. It's a true adventure story. It's romance at some parts. And it's awesome all the way through. They nailed it. Is Pirates of the Caribbean going to beat everything? No, but it is going to be Captain Fantastic for me. If I watch Captain Fantastic as many times as I watch Pirates, maybe I'll feel differently, but that day will never come. So today, Pirates of the Caribbean takes it home for me. You got my vote. It sounds like you actually really did not like Captain Fantastic. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I just didn't like the ending. I, well, it's not that I didn't like it. I just, I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about it. Man, I, I really did love Captain Fantastic, and I, I think it's way more heartwarming than it should have been. But Pirates of the Caribbean is almost the perfect action-adventure family movie. It, it fires on all cylinders. It's a blast through and through. It's got to be Pirates in a matchup against Captain Fantastic. Easy one for me. Pirates. No explanation needed. All right, guys. It has taken a while, but we have finally made it. It is time for the finals. They've both come a long way. We have a one-seater in play. And we have an OG wild card pick in the other. It is the Wolf of Wall Street versus Pirates of the Caribbean, the Curse of the Black Pearl. It seems like Pirates, on one hand, has had pretty unanimous wins up until this selection. Wolf of Wall Street had some varying kind of votes here and there, but we all acknowledge the filmmaking prowess. So is it another unanimous win for Pirates? Is this where things get interesting? It is time to decide. Austin and Keith, let's talk it out. Yeah, both of these movies, I think, do so well at exactly what they were trying to set out to do. Um, we've we've mentioned that so many times. For me, what ultimately this is really coming down to between both of these films, because they're both well-made, they're both great, we can ramble on about that stuff forever, it's coming down to the characters. Who's more engaging? Who do I who do I root for more? Who do I want to see for an entire movie? I gotta, gotta give Pirates the win over The Wolf of Wall Street. I love all the characters. Jack Sparrow's a legend. Um, I, you have more people you can root for. The performances are great in The Wolf of Wall Street. Don't love the characters. My vote is Pirates. Yeah, my vote's also going to be Pirates. Uh, it's a pretty easy one. All the stuff you just said, Austin, I will echo. Um, I just think it's just a universal great movie. I think it's a movie that you could put on for just about anybody, and I think they'll be entertained. Like I think you know a kid would enjoy it, a middle-aged person would enjoy it, and even an older person would probably enjoy it. It's just super simple movie, but like you said, it has really good characters. The choreography of the ships and the fighting and all that is not overly violent, but entertaining enough. And uh, yeah, I think it's just it's just a great movie. So I'm going to vote for Pirates. Where else are you going to see a man shoot silverware out of a cannon and have a fork land in another man's wooden eye? I feel like that honestly might have happened to Jordan Belford. <laughs> I would not be surprised. But I agree with you guys. Is Pirates of the Caribbean a perfect movie? I don't think so. I think there's some cheesy stuff. There's some plot holes, obviously. 
but who cares? I think when it comes to balancing characters, this crazy story, the fun, and just the production design and the score and the filmmaking, it's just a god, it's such a great, great watch. It's so fun. It's so genuinely good, too. This movie isn't just fun. That's the thing as I've gotten older that I appreciate about it is that it was mo- it was like way more than I thought it was when I was a kid. Like this is just a great, great movie. And of course, Wolf of Wall Street. The story is awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And The Wolf of Wall Street is another great Scorsese movie. But I just think, yes, it's cool that they're tackling like big business, Wall Street, like the corruption. Like it's certainly fascinating in the Jordan Belfort story. While scary and real is kind of interesting how it came to be. I just think Pirates is, I don't know, man. Like you guys all said, it's just so good. I got to vote for it as well. Fantastic film. It's a shame that they never made a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Disney, if you're tuning in, we gave the win to your movie. Come on, give us that funding. We'll vote for your movies every time. We don't care. We'll be shills. We need your sweet, sweet Disney, Disney money, baby. Come on. <laughs> all right, everybody. Congrats again to Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. You have won the Arnie's random movie bracket. Everybody out there, let us know if you like this format of bracket episode, because obviously tons of movies out there, tons of movies we like, tons of random things. So we could do a part two of this at some point. Let us know your thoughts. And beyond that, guys, just thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and this series, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we'd really appreciate that as we continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well, even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website, and we'll be back on Tuesday for another episode. And be on the lookout. Matt and I have another episode of Co-op Couch coming out soon. That, of course, is our little Arnie's sideshow gaming story. We're working our way through the new time loop thriller 12 Minutes. Uh, So that's probably going to be the main topic for our next episode. And that'll be coming out pretty soon. Nice. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please message us on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Send us your favorite movies of 2021. And also let us know how you would have voted in this random movie bracket, as well as your thoughts on the John Wick trilogy, and help us decide on our next bonus series. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya. Give me a coffee. I'm Tommy Lee Jones, (laughs) and I like to overact. (laughs)